This morning, we're going to read a parable of Jesus that is found in Matthew 25, and I'm just going to warn you, this is the first of three parables that we're going to look at over the next three Sundays. Um, Matthew ends, right, you know, the passion narrative is about to start in Matthew, but before that, Jesus tells three parables kind of at the end of his teachings, and, and these three parables are are pretty interesting, and, and they're going to get into some interesting stuff, and they're a little bit challenging. So Jesus often taught in parables. We've talked about parables here at Embrace many times. Parables are, it's a funny word, but they basically are stories, and they're stories with intent. They're stories that are meant to communicate some deep truth or meaning um, about God, about ourselves, about the world. They're really stories that are, help, that are meant to help us learn and grow. Y'all may have had good teachers in your life that told a lot of stories, and it's because like good teachers know that stories stick with us, and stories can communicate deep truth and meaning just through telling a story. Parables are meant to help us uh, learn and grow, but they're also meant to provoke us. They're meant to uh, wake us up. Um, so those of us that are kind of like sleeping through life, parables are supposed to rouse us a little bit and help us to kind of perk up a little bit and pay attention to what's going on around us. Jesus often told stories that maybe to our ears today don't sound as provoking because we're not living in their culture, but many of the stories were the kind of stories you would hear and be like, oh, that's an interesting story, and it would make you perk up a little bit. And so these stories, I, I don't believe these parables are meant to teach necessarily doctrine. They're not like theological treatises. They're stories with deep meaning and truth in them. But they aren't meant to teach us all the ins and outs of church doctrine and Christianity. Over the next three Sundays, we're going to deal with three parables that are a little bit scary, just to warn you. Um, They're certainly provoking. They deal with judgment, end times. They deal with Christ's return. And there's been a lot of movies and books and things written about this kind of stuff. And I'm just going to tell you now, we're going to try to focus on the big picture. All right, we're, not, we're going to try not to get too lost in all the finer details of the stories. Many people have tried to develop like a doctrine of the end times through these parables, these ones that we're reading today, and I don't think that's very wise because I'm not sure that's what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus was trying to tell stories, in my opinion, that were meant to cause us to think and to ask questions about ourselves and about the world and really provoke us to living differently in this world, all right? And all three of these parables, I think, deal with this question. And we ask this question at Embrace a lot. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? While we wait, what are we supposed to do? We all have to wait on so many things in life. What do we do while we're waiting? I'm constantly having to tell Kai, he's almost two, to wait, to be patient, because he doesn't like to wait. And, and none of us like to wait. So what do we do while we have to wait? And specifically, these parables are getting into this concept of like, what do we do while we wait for Jesus to return? Christ ascended into heaven, and he promised he was going to come back. And these parables really speak to the idea of what do we do while we wait for Jesus to return? Matthew, the writer of this gospel, was living in a very volatile time. Jesus had ascended into heaven, and Matthew and all the other Christians were waiting for Jesus to return. Many of them thought Jesus was going to return within their lifetime. 
And so they were trying to ask questions. What do we do now while we're waiting for Jesus to come back? And so he remembered some of these stories Jesus told as Jesus was in many ways foreshadowing what was coming and used these stories of Jesus to help communicate to his people Like, what do we do while we're waiting for Jesus? We're experiencing all this craziness and chaos and suffering and violence. Our city is being destroyed. What do we do while we wait for Jesus to return? And so I'll keep that in mind as we read through these. I'm going to read from Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Other translations say ten bridesmaids. So think of our modern idea of bridesmaids. These virgins are women who are there to support uh, the bride and be there to support them and celebrate them. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So I want to read the, first li- or the last line of that parable one more time. It said, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch. Keep watch. I want to talk about this idea today. What does it mean to keep watch? Since Jesus told stories, um, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories this morning that I think um, will help you maybe understand a little bit more of what Jesus means when he says, keep watch. So a few years ago, my wife and I, we took a trip to the Pacific Northwest. Um, It is beautiful out there. Yes, thank you. Um, we were in British Columbia, we were in Washington State, and we were also in Oregon. And one day in Oregon, we drove out to the coast. Um, the Oregon coast is some of the most beautiful uh, places you can go to in the, in the U.S., in my opinion. So beautiful. We were so excited to go to the coast and see the beach. And we had dinner at a seafood restaurant there, and we were going to go watch the sunset, but we ate dinner first, and then we were going to head out to the beach. And so we went to the seafood restaurant in a small town overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It was gorgeous. We were so excited. Laura had never seen the Pacific Ocean before, and we were excited to be there. It was incredible, and we were hungry, and we're ready to eat. 
And so we arrived at the restaurant, and they took us to our seat pretty quickly. However, I'll tell you, nothing else happened quickly um, during our time at that restaurant. Our waiter uh, took forever to show up. If y'all have ever eaten out, y'all probably have this experience. Didn't even show up to take our order, no drinks, nothing. It took like 20 minutes for us to finally connect with a waiter who was there uh, to take our order. We actually had to get up um, and go find him and other people to try to get our refills and our drinks, you know, um, which is not what you want to have to do at a nice seafood restaurant. Uh, It wasn't cheap. As you know, seafood, I've learned, is quite expensive. Uh, He would speed past our table um, and not even look in our direction. And so he'd be right there. We're like, hey, hey, hey. And he just kept on going. I'm like, dude, what what are you doing? Like, where are you at, man? We ordered our food finally, and then we proceeded to wait over an hour for any food to come to our table. In the meantime, our waiter was nowhere to be found. He didn't check on us. He didn't apologize. He was missing in action. He was MIA. Now, the problem seemed to be uh, in the kitchen. Other customers were coming to the front to ask where their food was as well. It was not just us. Laura and I actually had a perfect seat. We could see right into the kitchen, and we could see all the drama that was taking place back there. It was complete madness. It was chaos. Um, I I just watched this show on Hulu called The Bear. It's an amazing show. Um, But it's like kitchens can be chaotic and crazy, and this kitchen had a lot of chaos and a lot of dysfunction, clearly. We could see everything that was going on. The cooks were running around. They were throwing stuff. They were cursing. They were screaming at one another. Um, At one point, one of the cooks just stormed out of the kitchen and screamed at the top of his lungs in the restaurant. And and then I saw him come back in, and he said, sorry, boss, and he got back to work uh, and started working again. I was like, I guess they're quick to forgive there. Um, But all the while, our waiter was nowhere to be found, was ignoring us. And my thinking is the waiter probably was a little embarrassed about what was going on and why it was taking so long and just tried not to show his face. He was not a very good waiter. I would say he's a bad waiter. He did not keep watch very well at all. To this day, my best experience uh, from a waiter happened in Cambodia. Back in 2006, uh, my wife and I, um, after we got married and we both had graduated from college, we went to Cambodia for six months and lived and worked there. During our first week in the country, Uh, There was a big football game on back here in the States. Texas was playing against USC, and it was the NCAA National Championship game of football. And we wanted to see it. You know, these were, there were some big-time athletes on these teams, and and we were wanting to see this big game. And so we started watching the game at the house. Uh, My parents were living there, too, at their apartment there in Cambodia. Now, one thing to know about Cambodia back in 2006 is they would have regular power outages. And it was kind of strategic because they needed to do this in order to provide power for the whole city. And so at times, different parts of the city would just lose power, and you just expected it, and you knew it would happen. And so, of course, while we're watching the game, power goes out. And I'm like, man, like, we want to see this game. We can't, like, it's not going to pause for us, obviously. And so we wanted to watch it. And so we're like, well, we were hungry, and we're like, let's go out and find a restaurant maybe where they're showing the game, and we'll watch the rest of it there. And so we settled on a place called Chit Chat. It was up the street from our house. Um, and the thing about Chit Chat was they had a really good Philly cheesesteak, which was uh, random. You know, we're in Cambodia on the other side of the world, very, very far from Philly. 
Uh, but I was excited about a Philly cheesesteak, you know, which is kind of lame. Uh, you know, it's kind of silly when I'm in Cambodia, I'm looking for a Philly cheesesteak. But that's, that's where I was at that moment. Um, watching football, it made sense. So we went up the stairs. We saw the lights were on. We're like, yes, we can watch the game. But when we got up the stairs, we noticed that they were running their lights off of a very small generator um, that was outside so they could keep the restaurant up and going, but they certainly didn't have any TVs on. And so we were bummed, but we stayed there anyway to eat. So the waiter immediately came out to our table, and he took our order. Um, we asked him when he thought the power might come on um, because we were hoping to watch a football game, and he said, I'm not sure. He's like, I'm really, really sorry. I wish I could show you the game. And then he went back into the kitchen. Now, a couple minutes later, he emerged from the kitchen with an extension cord. And he had taken the cord all the way outside, plugged it into the generator, and he had drugged this long extension cord into the restaurant, and he had a TV with him, and he plugged in the TV right beside our table and turned on the game so that we could watch it. And I was like, what? Like, you didn't have to do that, you know? Like, you've got limited power, but he's like, no, I want y'all to watch this football game. And he was so excited that we could see it. And, of course, we were excited to watch the game as well. It was a really good game. Vince Young took over that game at the end and, and single-handedly took down uh, USC at the end of that football game. It was an awesome game. I still remember it. Yeah, that was, that was the year they won. We got to see the end of it because of this waiter. Uh, for the remainder of our time, the waiter basically just stood over by the corner of the restaurant, and he stood close by, and he just watched over us ready to help with anything we might need. When our glasses would get low, he would run over, he would fill them up. He saw, if he saw we looked like we needed something, he would run over and check on us. He waited and he watched the entire time we were in that restaurant. He made it his job to take care of us and to look out for us. At times it appeared as if uh, he was doing nothing, right? He was just standing there. But he was actively watching and waiting until we needed him to respond. And for me, that story has stuck with me because as I think the Bible talks a lot about waiting and keeping watch um, and staying alert. And the waiter in Cambodia has taught me something about how I believe we're supposed to wait on the Lord. What it means for us to keep watch when we don't know the day or the hour when Christ will return. The good waiter was prepared, prepared ready to act. Essentially, he was doing his job regardless of the circumstances around him. In our parable for today, Jesus shows us how we ought to wait for him to return. The story is about ten bridesmaids, and their style of weddings is very different from ours, but I think you can understand the gist here. Basically, the, the bridesmaids, they had lanterns, and they were waiting for the, with the bride for the groom to arrive so that this big party could begin. Each bridesmaid had a lantern. Um, some say they were probably more like torches. Uh, five of them were wise, and they took extra oil with them because they knew that if, time, if it took a while, then they may run out of oil. But the other five did not take any extra oil. Perhaps people told them, you won't need any extra oil. The groom never takes very long. This groom's always on time. But, of course, the groom was delayed. As it often happens, things happen. And it took, he took longer than expected. This happens sometimes. It got late. They were tired, and so the ten girls went to sleep. 
Now, finally, the groom was on their way. They heard the announcement. The messenger arrived saying, he's coming. It's, it's happening. Finally, the party can get going. And so they woke up, and five of the girls started panicking. They're like, we don't have enough oil, and our rent lamps are running out. And they're like, hey, can you all share your oil with us? But the five who had oil refused to share because they were thinking, if we give you our oil, all our lamps might run out, and then we're going to be in big trouble, and we'll have no light for this procession and for this party that's about to start. So the foolish bridesmaids, they ran into town to try to buy some extra oil. The story says it was midnight, and so you may wonder, where are they going to find oil at midnight in town? Apparently they found somebody to get some oil from. They come back, and the groom has already arrived. The door's closed, and the party has begun. They try to get into the party, and it says the groom refused and said that he did not know them. And then Jesus says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Five of the bridesmaids, it says, were good waiters. They were prepared. They were ready to act. They did their job as bridesmaids, regardless of how long they had to wait. Five of the bridesmaids were bad waiters. They weren't prepared. They slacked, and they didn't take their job as a bridesmaid seriously enough. Now, the problem wasn't that they went to sleep. Um, It was fine that they went to sleep in this story, but the problem was that they showed up unprepared. They did not bring enough oil with them. I believe to keep watch is to be an active waiter, to be prepared, to work even while we wait to make sure we are ready when the time comes. I've thought of godly waiting, um, and, and it makes me think a lot of pregnancy. Um, we've had a lot of babies that, that have been born, and maybe you're still expecting uh, to come here soon. But godly waiting, I believe, is a lot like pregnancy because every expectant mother knows that she has to actively wait for the baby to be born. An expectant mother can't just sit around for nine months without ever thinking about the child who is growing inside of her. The waiting is not passive at all. It is very active. She has lots to do while she waits. It requires preparation, exercise, nutrition, care, prayer, and work. The birth then involves sweat and pain and tears. And I think trying to live in this world as Christians is a lot like pregnancy. We believe, part of our beliefs is that we believe the seed had been planted with Jesus. And now we live with faith that God is up to something, that something is happening, even if we can't always see it. And we wait for God to act like a pregnant mother waits for her child to be born. We work, we prepare, we cry, we ache, we laugh, we make sure we're ready and we're confident when Christ returns. This is what it means to me to keep watch. We stay alert. We do what God has called us to do while we wait. Now, I'm a big uh, NBA basketball fan. And on all NBA teams, um, there are going to be players on the team who rarely get to actually play. And they're on the team. They serve a purpose. They may sit on the bench every single game, but they are there, and their job is important, and many of them are paid very well to just sit on the bench at every game. But they've got to stay in shape. They've got to be mentally prepared. They've got to know the plays. They've got to be actively working on their game because they never know when they might be needed. They may just be an injury or two away from being called in at a crucial moment in the game to come in and contribute 
in some way. And so they keep watch, and they actively wait, doing their job as a professional basketball player, even though they know they may never, ever see the court. You know, I think about our world right now. We live, and we have been living for a long time, in very uncertain times. Threats and lies and violence and shaky foundations. Our world seems to be barely hanging on. And in these uncertain times, our Christian faith teaches us we are waiting for Christ's promises to be fulfilled. And Jesus tells us in the Scriptures that we must keep watch. We must stay alert while we wait. In these dark times, it is all the more important that we do what we have been taught to do. We keep our lamps ready. We keep our light shining, even as we sit in darkness waiting for the party to start. We do what we've been taught. We do our job. You know, while we wait for Christ to return, we also have to wait for many other things in our lives. Waiting is just part of life. It is a frustrating part of life at times. We have to wait for so many things, and God doesn't often show up very quickly. We may wait for God to show us that next step we need to take in our lives. Sometimes we call upon God to give us wisdom And we ask God to show us a path in front of us to help us with life decisions. And He doesn't give us that wisdom very quickly. And I see this parable teaching us to actively wait. We don't have to just sit around and do nothing and passively wait until God tells us what to do. We can live now in the moment and do what Jesus has called us to do each and every day. You know, sometimes, and I get it, I've I've heard people complain and this was big when I was younger in college. People, we would always say, I just don't know God's will for my life, you know. And, and people would often complain, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what I ought to be doing. And it often meant that people just sat around and played video games and didn't do anything, you know. Because they're like, I don't know what's next in my life. I just need God to give me an answer. And my, my thinking now is like, we don't need to know all the specifics because we know what God has called us to do. Like, the Scriptures teach us that we need to be people who work for peace, that we need to love people, that we need to stand up for others, that we need to invest in in young people and and children. We need to encourage our friends and our family. We need to be faithful spouses. We need to be kind to people. We need to invite people to our church and get involved in our communities and serve. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your life. You can do these things. You can do these things if you have a job. You can do these things if you're unemployed. We can do these things in our circles where we're at each and every day. And the message I'm hearing from Jesus is don't just sit around waiting for what's next. Live now and trust that God will show you that next step in your life. Do your job now. You know, I think about the waiter in Oregon. This was at the seafood restaurant. He had no idea when the kitchen would get it together. And ultimately, it was out of his control. Like, he didn't work back there. He could not help them figure out all their problems and take over that situation. But he did have a job. He could do it. He could have been checking in on us. He could have been talking to us. He could have been creating conversation and making us feel comfortable in that space. He could have kept watch, taken care of all the customers that he was tasked to take care of, and been ready when finally the kitchen worked out their mess and dysfunction and food started coming out. The waiter in Cambodia had no idea when the power would come back on, and that was certainly outside of his control. But he knew how to be a good waiter, and he did what he could, and he took care of us and focused on the things that he actually had control 
over. Your future may be uncertain. The next step in your life may be very unclear. You may be out of work. You may have fallen on hard times. You may be entering a new phase of your life. You don't know everything, but you, do, you may not know what God's going to do months or years down the road, but we do know something, that Jesus has given us these instructions on how we live our lives. He calls us to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, like we talked about a few weeks ago. And we can do that anywhere, anytime, no matter where we're at. We may not know much at all, and we certainly don't about when Christ will return or when he's going to set all this suffering and injustice and awfulness right, but we do know what he's called us to do in the meantime. We do know that we have been called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think if we focus on these things, then I think we're going to be moving in the right direction. And so my encourage for us this, encouragement for us this morning is that we would be good waiters, that we would do our jobs as followers of Jesus while we wait. Everything is uncertain. Everything is overwhelming right now. But we can focus in on the things that we can control, the things that we can do. And we can love. We can reach out. I'm not sure where this quote came from. I think it comes from um, some Jewish spiritual tradition. Uh, There's some debate out there, but I love it, uh, what it says. And it certainly is faithful to my understanding of God and and our role as his followers. And I've shared this a few years ago, but I want to share it again. It says, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.